We are delighted to have you. We are blessed to have you among us this morning. And um, I know that Dan is going to be sharing just a bit with us about uh, their work at, in South Africa together, giving us a bit of context. And then Catherine is going to be sharing some reflections with us and some of what that work has inspired them to wonder about and think about and um, proclaim together. Um, I would like to offer a prayer for you. Um, and would you like to both come forward and maybe just stand for now? I'll, I'll let you decide. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of Dan and Catherine's mouths and the meditations of all the hearts gathered in this space together be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's uh, exciting to be back and see uh, people we know, but I didn't expect to be seeing Weldon and Marg. That's very exciting. Um, Fifteen years ago, we were on staff here at Seattle Mennonite as the Mennonite Voluntary Service Coordinators, um, and that was fun. And I didn't expect to see Lanny Schumann this morning from uh, formerly University Christian Church, where I was working prior to our service with Mennonite Mission Network. Um, and so it's going to be on you to get us scheduled over there. Because uh, I don't think Mennonite Mission Network knows how to contact you anymore since University <laughs> Christian isn't there any longer. But um, Catherine and I are uh, just celebrating our 21 years of marriage as of two days ago. And uh, Jacob represents our Seattle-born child. The other one who's not here with us today, John Clare, was born when we were serving with Mennonite Mission Network in Uganda. Sorry, with Mennonite Central Committee in Uganda. That was uh, 2000 to 2003 with the Acholi Religious Leaders Peace Initiative. Then we moved here. Jacob was born. Uh, we went into Mennonite Central Committee again and did a service in Chad for three years. Uh, that was with the Chadian Association for Nonviolence. Boys were quite young at the time. Got to go experience some very hot and dry weather. And then we came back here, of course, not hot and dry at all. Um, and then we uh, spent six years here in Seattle. And we, of course, keep feeling this call to Africa, uh, especially Africa, and, and working in peace building. Catherine and I were each born in Africa. Our fathers were conscientious objectors and teachers, so they were doing their alternate service. So I was born in Nigeria, Catherine born in Botswana. It's um, not something we uh, know from memory of the time of living there, but it definitely made a deep impact in our lives in terms of what we have felt called to do. And we've been privileged to do these three times of going to work in Africa and serving with different partners that the Mennonite churches have been supporting in Africa in the work of sharing the gospel and particularly in the work of trying to uh, do ministry of reconciliation and peace building in the world. And that has really been the deep call in our lives. Um, Catherine's going to share a longer message with you. 
It's not the stories so much of what we've done in South Africa. So our partner there is called the Southern African Development and Reconciliation Agency, which we shortened to SADRA, Conflict Transformation. And the work was primarily to teach people nonviolent conflict management, violence prevention. And so we worked with community leaders and we worked with religious leaders, particularly because of their influence in the communities, training them in how to intervene and respond in nonviolence. And then another part of our work was with youth teaching uh, peer mediation skills in some of the high schools. And some of the schools were really impoverished and very traumatized by a lot of gang violence in their neighborhoods. And so um, it meant a lot to work with those young people and see how just personally some of their lives were transformed from the impact of what was taught. And so it was really uh, a great experience for us and we would enjoy sharing some of those stories at another time when we have chances to interact and engage. But um, Catherine will share some more reflections about what we really learned by this time of being in an intensive situation in South Africa. Good morning. It is an honor, it's humbling actually, to have time with you to share our experiences um, some of you have read our newsletters, seen our Facebook posts, uh, seen us with these trainings, working with peacemakers in the local schools and communities. Some of you are just hearing from us the very first time, so I think it, it's good you have some context to what I'm going to share. Um, we were encouraging nonviolence on the one hand, but also activism on the other hand, uh, where it was needed. Because South Africa is a complicated place. It's a young democracy and it has this strong sense of protest and yet the, the uh, history is so deep and so rich and it, it made it difficult for us, even though it was our third time in Africa, we felt like we were starting from the very bottom, figuring out how things worked and what things meant. It is Africa, but if you're white-skinned, it's also a bit of Europe. It's very diverse with people from all over the globe. You had Dutch settlers, Mozambican slaves, British colonists, Irish prisoners, French Huguenots, Zimbabwean refugees, Indonesian indentured servants, soldiers and sailors from all over the world, African Bantu tribes, and original indigenous nomadic peoples. So other than this last group, people have been arriving and figuring out how to live together for the last 400 years, 600 for the Bantu. Different religions and different languages twist around events like the discovery of gold and diamonds, and even our world wars have left visible traces on this place. So tightly woven is the fabric of world politics. Forces as strong as the infamous Cape Town winds play out. The Afrikaners' desperation to create a little world for themselves. The insatiable British drive for empire. And black Africans that stood up to these forces, such as Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. Ubuntu, the local word for connection and forgiveness, is real and people who've been abused for generations still aspire to live in Ubuntu, even with their enemies. It's an awe-inspiring place, 
and there are sad stories and pain written on nearly every face, black, brown, and white. Striking to us as Americans is how similar this history is to our own history. We are also settlers in a beautiful land. We fought with other Europeans for it, mercilessly killed or drove out indigenous people. We brought African slaves and semi-skilled laborers from China and Italy to build this empire and treated the land as if it was ours for the taking. We carry this sin of the settler, justified by the church, blinded by our superiority complex, armed with might makes right, white Americans have committed many of the same atrocities as white South Africans. There are also parallels between Mennonites and the Huguenots that came to South Africa. They were fleeing persecution for their faith and struggling to maintain a minority identity, for example. Sounds a lot like Mennonites, actually. And while Mennonites didn't take up arms or servants or slaves, my forefathers did take land that belonged to others and farmed it with no regard for those losing all means of livelihood. Even worse, we were complicit in the official attempt to snuff out the languages and cultures of those indigenous people through Mennonite support of Indian schools. I don't say these things to shame us, but to acknowledge our place, my very personal place in history. And I do that partly because I've spent four years in South Africa listening to people of color, and this is the starting point, not to deny, defend, or disappear, but admit to the pain we have caused. Christianity has a convoluted relationship with colonialization. Here in the US, we call it the great proclamation confounded with manifest destiny. When religion enters the political realm, it's easy to back a fallen agenda, one reason many Mennonites avoid politics. But then we miss supporting prophets of our time, like Martin Luther King Jr. I believe we should dig deeply into our gospel and our faith and listen to our brothers and sisters around the world on how we can come together and then share our privilege. For as Archbishop Tutu says, there but by the grace of God go I. We need the love and grace and power of God to engage and go on into this world to make things right. It's not about mastering the world, but about changing our relationship to the world. Dan and I have lived in six countries, and for many people, the U.S. is a model of progress and innovation. And for many Christians, the U.S. is a Christian role model nation. I've shared this next part of the sermon that I'm gonna share with you with four different churches in South Africa to help people understand the U.S. more clearly and to appreciate the good that is in South Africa. I called it, Three Things You Need to Know About White People. And when I shared this with the white church, I said I was referring to Americans, but they couldn't see if any of it fits. <laughs> Sorry, quite thirsty this morning. Cool. First of all, white people don't know everything. In fact, there's a lot we get wrong. Secondly, we're often unhappy 
selfish and fearful, and we have a hard time uh, trusting God. Third, everyone is broken by sin, but if our society lives as if we know everything and we don't trust God, then that brokenness grows deep roots into our society, and that is killing us. So going over those three again, there's a lot that we get wrong. And again, remember I'm speaking to a, a different church. Colonizing, dictating how other people live. These are a few things you know that white people have gotten wrong. We've also promoted industrial development at any cost, and now the environment is suffering. We've bought into the idolatry of wealth and profits being more important than people. And the particular form of capitalism in the US is making the rich richer and the poor more poor. And yet the rest of the world still wants to be like the US. The second one, we're unhappy and fearful and don't trust God. Suicide rates continue to go up even for people with money and nice things. Fear has made us turn against immigrants and others, and instead of turning to God in our troubled times, we build walls and security gates to protect us. And third, living in this society that thinks it knows a lot, but doesn't trust God, has this brokenness that continues to root deeply into our society, and now this is killing us. There's a lot of negativity in the US right now, partly from our current leader, President Trump, Hate crimes have increased multiple fold. Immigrant parents are separated from their children and people have forgotten how to talk to others that see things differently. Guess how many mass shootings there have been this year in 2019. And then people would say, oh, six, 20. Somebody said 40 once, right, Dan? 334 mass shootings, that was in October. It's now 423. That's four or more people shot quickly in a row. This isn't counting gang violence or police intervention and drugs and that kind of thing. 423 in the US so far. This is Americans killing Americans. And I can tell you the congregations I've shared this with can't believe that number. There are a lot of reasons for these problems bad mental health care, easy access to guns, breakdown of the family, a rise in depression. But instead of talking about how to change or address these things, I hear our government blaming immigrants and encouraging race-based fear. And this has been true since the 80s, since I was a kid growing up in California. Now, there's a lot of crime, fear, xenophobia, racism in South Africa. But we also found a lot of caring for each other and caring about community, a willingness to forgive and a reliance on God. We're able to have weekend trainings for community leaders in mediation. And after three days, community leaders are ready to resolve conflict. In the US, our leaders seem much more interested in fighting things out and being right. In South Africa, Sadra goes into troubled schools and principals give us learners to train as peer mediators. This is to reduce conflict on campus and this is working with 14, 15, 16 year olds. Here in the US, most principals I worked with believe you just need to punish the bad students. 
and they're not interested in resolving conflicts. It's much more a place of power over people. In Uganda and Chad, our family lived in much more traditional societies, and there we saw a way of living that puts people as the most important thing. Relationships are more important than money, more important than being on time, more important than having power over other people. And then I finished those sermons by sharing about positive things happening in white South African communities, things that churches are doing for racial healing. And I would encourage communities to continue getting to know each other, to safeguard these values, and avoid following the US idolizing wealth and security. The best sermon I heard in South Africa was Palm Sunday, 2017. Pastor Tim identified with Lazarus, remember that story, being wrapped up in his grave clothes. He's naked and vulnerable beneath those layers of dead, ragged cloth. And he concluded that Sunday, white South Africa is Lazarus, still bumbling around like the sleepwalking dead. It's not enough to just have Jesus raise you. We can't see where we're going, and we need other people to take those clothes off. And yet we crave the comfort of what we know, and we like to cover what's underneath. And this makes me think about where the US is at. I don't believe we've dealt with racism and our own history as a country and as people. And we're very divided from what I can tell on Facebook and social media. And that's on top of the problems I've already listed. I read part of Isaiah 8 the other day and was struck by how it could refer to our current country, especially if we replace just a couple words. So forgive me for doing this. I'm not a theologian or a pastor, so I feel like I can play around like this. Um, So this is Isaiah 8, verses 12 through 15a, replacing houses of Judah and Israel with houses of Congress. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. God is the one you are to fear. God will be a holy place for both houses of Congress God will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of God, this will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. And this stumbling brings me back to Lazarus, both for the blind way we thrash around and for the reminder that we need each other to move forward. This is a big lesson we learned in South Africa. We are interconnected, and we have a common fate that requires us to work together. South Africans know this in a much more intimate way than I'm sensing here in the United States, and yet it's true. I've not lived in the US for four years. I can't pretend to understand how it has been for you or even to say what needs to be done, but I learned these things in South Africa. White people, we need to humble ourselves. We need to do our homework. We need to learn from cultures that are healthier than ours. 
And I like this challenge from Isaiah. Perhaps God is purposefully making us all stumble so that we can come back to God's holy place. I finish with a little quote of perspective from Dan White, Jr., author of Love Over Fear and the Church as Movement. I thought of it because of today's reading, starting with John the Baptist. So this is his quote. John the Baptist believed in a political vision that was active, violent, and immediate. Marius Magnificat believed in a political vision that would bring down the Roman Empire and elevate her people. Zachariah's messianic political expectations believed they'd have a national liberation that would exclude the Gentiles. Peter believed in a political vision that would cut down his enemies with the sword and put him in power. We all project onto God our preferred picture, but Jesus chooses another way.